March Madness 365 with Andy Katz is presented by Grammarly. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that gives your team an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. Grammarly works seamlessly across 500,000 apps and websites. Get personalized on-brand writing help everywhere your team works. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this edition of our show, I'll be joined by new Oklahoma head coach, Porter Mosier, and new Utah State head coach, Ryan Odom. Both these moves were surprising. There's no question about it. As I said, and you'll hear in my conversations with both of them, I thought, if anything, Mosier was going to maybe go to Marquette, DePaul, or stay put at Loyola Chicago. But Oklahoma, a good fit, wanted to work for Joe Kistiglione, the longtime athletic director at Oklahoma, very well respected, one of the best athletic directors in the country. And Ryan Odom, you know, he wins at UMBC 16 over one against Virginia, could have left then, decided not to. I thought, if anything, does he go in the ACC? Does he go in the SEC? No, he goes out to Utah State. Big surprise. Now, there is a connection. His brother Lane Odom works for the Jazz. Quinn Snyder, head coach of the Jazz, close with the family. And Utah State has a image right now as a winner. And I'm going to talk to both these guys because one of my pet peeves, and you've heard me talk about this before, is I get annoyed when a new coach comes in. Got to change the culture, change the culture, change the culture. Not everywhere has to change the culture. And these are two great examples of that. Okay, and we're going to talk about that because Oklahoma was winning under Lon Kruger and Utah State was winning under Craig Smith. Lon Kruger retires. Craig Smith goes to Utah. Bam. So not a complete overhaul. It's just, okay. I'm the new head coach. This is what I do versus the previous person. So listen, these guys are winners where they've been. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. So that's coming up. We're going to continue this. Got a handful that I really want to get to as we finish up looking at some of these new coaches. Shaka Smart's going to join us next week. Little tease for that. Going from Texas to Marquette. So uh, we'll continue this. And we're going to look at the career of Roy Williams, the career of Lon Kruger here in the offseason as well. Got our ranks looking at week five of uh, the roster management. Players coming and going, transfer portal, early entrance, super seniors. So we're going to address that in week five, my top 10 there. Also, some housekeeping issues. Number one, NBA draft early entry deadline, May 30th this month. To withdraw from the NBA draft, NCAA-wise, July 7th, because it lately has been 10 days after the combine, which now is scheduled the 21st to 27th to June. So 10 days after that. July 7th, when the NCAA players have to withdraw from the NBA draft. Technically, overall, to withdraw from the NBA draft, it's July 19th because the draft is July 29th. Everything pushed back, of course, because of the NBA. We're hoping in 2022 that we get back to a more normal schedule. Combine in May, draft in June. I think that would help everyone, players, teams. And there's going to be some form of a summer league. It'll be abbreviated, I'm sure. But it'll probably be in August now with the draft July 29th. Usually that's in July. So, you know, everything's still sort of coming together. Recruiting, by the way, is coming back in June and July. 
in person. That'll be fascinating to see what happens with the class of 22. Class of 21, obviously, didn't really get seen, at least not as rising seniors. So that'll be very interesting to see, A, what happens to this class of 21 outside of the top guys. We know that they're going to go and play and all that. But how many guys in the class of 21 maybe decided to PG because there weren't spots, because they weren't seen? I think it's going to take a couple of years to sort of figure all that out because, you know, the class of 20 missed out on the end of their season. Class of 21 probably had a season but just wasn't recruited because coaches couldn't go on the road, so they were recruited via Zoom, which clearly is not the same. I've said this before. I think one thing that's going to stay is the Zoom recruiting. That, I think, is going to stay where you can not watch someone via Zoom, but interview someone via Zoom. I think we're going to continue to see that in the years to come because I've had coaches tell me, and you've heard it here on the podcast, you could recruit a kid and visit with his family, his AAU coach, his high school coach, one kid from New York, two hours later, a kid from Texas, maybe an international kid, and you don't have to leave your home or your office, and you can meet with more people. And I think that, certainly in the early stages of recruiting, I think that will continue. Home visits or campus visits, that'll come back slowly, but I do think the other aspect of recruiting will stay in terms of the reach of Zoom. So don't be surprised if that happens. All right, NCAA Rules Committee, they met, and the biggest change this past week is flopping. They're going to start penalizing players that really try to you know, win an Oscar. So it's no longer a warning if you, you know, are judged to have faked your flop. Now it can be a class B technical to each time a player tries to, and I'm quoting here, embellish being contacted. So the opposing team would receive one free throw. That's good. Cut down on the acting. No awards being handed out. Uh, I like the fact technology is going to be added. You can use iPads, laptops for stats. I think that's something that's going to stay. Not a huge fan of this experimental on the six fouls in the NIT, but we'll see how that goes. You know, I mean, I I know people squawk about fouling out stars and all that, but uh, I want to wait and see how that all goes. That's to me, is the biggest one that I think we're going to experiment with and see how it plays out. No mention of four quarters. Uh, Still, the men is sort of the outlier there. I really can't decide how I stand on it. I've gone back and forth. You know, the two halves we're obviously used to, but they are an outlier. Everyone else plays four quarters. So I think it would be an easy adjustment to just go to it. I'd like to see a universal line. We still, the three-point line is still between the men, the women, international, NBA. I like graduating to an NBA line, but I also am not a fan of a million lines on a court. So at some point, that's going to have to change with the men and the women, especially when they share so many courts around the country. So I'd like to see that at least be addressed at some point. You know, one thing that was not, which I'm thankful for, uh, my good friend Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News, he's a big proponent of this. He tweets and writes about it all the time. Advancing the ball. It's an NBA rule doesn't belong in college because we would not get the drama of the full-length pass to set up the buzzer beater. And I still want it. You know, I, I don't think that advancing it all the way to half court and pulling off a buzzer beater when you've shrunk the court like that, I just think you take away that element. So I'd like to make it a little harder because then it makes it even more impressive and more important when it happens. So that's some news of the week. 
Let's get to the new head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners. Porter, I'll be honest. I thought if you were going to leave Loyola, I thought it was going to be DePaul, Marquette, maybe somewhere in the Big Ten. I'm surprised. Why Oklahoma? I talked to the athletic director, Joe Castiglione. He was um, right away kind of knew like how OU was wired. They're just wired with a lot of energy to win and sustain success the right way. I mean, they were just about things that aligned with what I wanted to do. And uh, the Big 12 Conference, I mean, just, you know, one of the top conferences in the country. And uh, to be at a place where, you know, they've sustained success in all sports, top to bottom. Look, you've had chances. We know this. I mean, after the Final Four, you love Loyola Chicago. And I'm hoping we're in a new era where people can leave and people can celebrate what they did, both the individual and the school. And I feel like there's a mutual love there between the two. So before we even go to Oklahoma, I just want to just sort of, you know, bathe in that a little bit here that there's just great respect. You loved it. They loved you. And I got that sense with this departure. No question about it. And this has nothing to do about where I'm going. 100%. I, I loved the players, the family, I love the culture we built. And that won't go away. I love Chicago. And that'll never go away. And we feel great at how we left it and that Drew's taken over. It's going to continue. Because when you invest in something that much for 10 years, it is hard to walk away. You know, so many people the last three or four years say, oh, yeah, you got to do this, you got to do that. It's not as simple when you've built something and you love something like you did. I do feel that way about the people at Loyola, the fan base, Unreal, the city of Chicago, and the former players. It was a very, and it is a very special family. And I'm looking forward to building that in the next place. Just because I'm moving on doesn't mean I'll ever not have that place in my heart for Loyola. So I got to know, I mean, how was that conversation when you told Sister Jean? Okay, so when I called her, it was almost like, she's like, I don't want to hear, I don't want to, <laughs> you know, it's one of those, she didn't want to talk right away. And then uh, she wrote me, you know, normally she emails me after every game. She wrote me a two page letter, handwritten, that sent me to Oklahoma. And then we just talked this week for 30 minutes and just great emotions and great feelings, the love for each other. So she just absolutely wished my kids the best, Megan and myself. And uh, she said she's not entering the transfer portal, but she did say, that uh, as long as we're not playing the Ramblers, her prayers are going to be sent our way. But uh, obviously, I'm, I'm not naive enough. If we play the Ramblers, I mean, she's going to like hex the sooner. So that's for sure. I'll tell you this, Porter. She sent me an email, and I was blown away by yeah. it. I mean, unsolicited, she sent me an email about how much she's enjoyed talking to me. Yeah. And like, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, here, this woman's 101 years old. We talked four years ago. We talked again. She remembered me like that. And I I mean, I just, I love the fact that she sent that to me. I was so moved that she took the time to do that. There's no one like her. I mean, there's no one like her. She's so sharp and uh, she has so much love to give to other people. And, uh, but she is sharp. I mean, she wrote the forward of my book. Not that this is a a shameless ply for my book. That's okay. We take shameless plugs. We can do that. She wrote the forward of my book, Um, but she's just, uh, she's an amazing person. So at Oklahoma, this is another sort of unique situation. Because I get very frustrated when, you know, new guy comes in, you got to change the culture and all this kind of thing. There are, I mean, look, I I don't want to say there, you know, because there's so many people I respect, but Lon Kruger, I've never heard someone say a negative word about Lon Kruger. 
I would say this about you too, but I would just say that like he had no enemies and he had unbelievable respect and then you follow him. And so it's not like you have to like build this thing back up and repair, you know, relationships. So what's that like to go in after someone who is beloved? So the first thing is it was just such a sign of what they coveted that Lon Kruger was there 10 years. They just loved the culture, the high character. I said in my press conference, you know, I am not rebuilding. I'm just want to enhance. I mean, the kids are good kids. They go to class. They do all the right things. I mean, those are things that are built in by Coach Kruger. And he's, he's what every young coach aspires to. He wins the right way with integrity. Like, he treats everybody unbelievable. I will tell you a funny thing, though. Like, the first day I got the job, I probably got 15 phone calls from OU fans Say, hey, welcome, Porter. But, uh, you know, Coach Kruger opened up every single practice to the public. Yes. We were at every practice. I'm like, well, I'm going to open up some practice. Every single one? Come on, Coach. (laughs) He had such access because that's the way he is. It doesn't even seem like he's had a bad day. He's never met someone he doesn't like. I mean, he's called to check on me every week. I'm like, Coach, he's just an amazing guy. And uh, how cool that you can go out of this profession that many years on top in the NCAA tournament so well-respected on his own terms, and now he goes to go watch his son coach at UNLV. I mean, what a career he had, and uh, just tough to follow. Well, not that you want to use it as an excuse, but uh, you can use COVID uh, because uh, as it is now, you probably couldn't have everyone coming in to work out still yet. And how about our mutual friend that I worked for? Can you imagine Coach Majerus opening up practice everywhere? No. They would have been a Jesuit priest for confession. Yeah, (laughs) they would have had like a beeping machine. That's right. You know, just beeping all... Uh, any curse word. So, you know, first of all, speaking of Rick, Rick Majerus, there is no question in my mind he would have loved coaching Tanner Groves, okay? Like, you know, with the beard and the headband and just the way he plays. So when I saw that you got Tanner and Jacob Groves, you know, I thought of that. I'm like, oh my God, this would be like the perfect person that I think Rick would have loved to coach. Well, I just got done coaching four years, another prototype of Rick Majerus guy. I said it all along. I go, I said it when he was a freshman. I go, Coach Majerus would love Cameron Crutwig. Yes. And he just, just what, how he was, how he played, his IQ, his competitiveness. And then when I got the Oklahoma job and when we started diving into Tanner and his brother Jacob, I could only think about that. Like, he's another guy that just fits who I am. I mean, totally fit Coach Majerus, but a skilled big man who loves to play. I think that's what sticks out at me. And I think you and I have talked about this, about post players, that when I was recruiting with Rick and it'd be a post player, he had such an affinity for post players. The first question he asked me is, do they love to play? You know, because sometimes big guys play because they're big. Guards love to play. And Tanner is like Crutwig. Those two guys and Jacob, they just love basketball. And I just think that's really cool. And I'm excited to coach both Tanner and Jacob. So you also had a Jordan Goldwire. And what I think you've done already in a short amount of time in the portal is finding fits. And I think that's critical. It's not just, oh, I got to grab this guy, grab that guy. I mean, Goar, very good defender. Obviously, that's sort of your bread and butter. But you can't always do that. But how much should you look at that to say, okay, the Groves, especially Tanner, they're going to fit the way I want to play, kind of like Crutwig. You know, I get Goar, he's a defender, comes from a great program in Duke. How much did you look at that as well? A lot. I mean, very intentional in the recruiting. It's just, it's not going to be random. And I just think that you got to, you got to recruit to yourself, to what fits you and to what fits your thing. And, you know, Jordan, 
all ACC defender. He's right up there, seventh in steal or assists. And he's played on the highest stage. He's got a Duke degree, just a high character guy. And I really think he, his offensive role is going to expand. Ethan Shagwar from SMU, a big man with skill that can play the four, the five. But I think you got to be intentional with this transfer portal. We had people leave Oklahoma, so do it intentionally. But how much do you think this will speed up this process when a new coach takes over? I don't know if you'd have so many departures. When you see new coaches, like kids get departs because some people don't want to sit out a year. But now that you don't have to sit out a year, you're just seeing it happen so fast. I can't imagine. We had literally four scholarship players remaining when I got the job. Four. And I can't imagine trying to piece together a team if they weren't eligible right away. So it happens on both ends. I mean, sometimes the kids won't leave because they don't want to sit out. But then now that they do, you're able to bring some guys into play right away to compete. The whole landscape is changing. And um, you know what's scary, Andy? The ones that you see are signing. But there's a lot that we're not talking about. Hundreds of kids that haven't signed yet that thought the grass was greener somewhere else, that they had a free college education somewhere, that now all of a sudden the grass is greener and they don't have anything right now. That's scary for those amount of guys. Well, and the other thing is, look what Drew got, your successor. He got four super seniors. Yeah. You know, taking advantage of also that rule, which allows him like sort of a head start in his first coaching job and allowed it sort of have consistency at Loyola, which I think obviously is critical. Um, hey, this summer, had it been last summer, and I'm thinking of different guys that had to sort of take over in that, you know, uh, situation like Stan Johnson went from Marquette assistant out to LMU and he couldn't work with anyone the whole, you know, first four months. What will be the difference of actually being able to work with players and do some recruiting this summer? I mean, the, 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 it's night and day. I mean, to be able to be with your guys, I can't imagine taking over a program for those guys last year that did it. I mean, I hope every, their fan bases, their administration understands how difficult that would be to not start to implement your system, not to start getting to know the players. Not even see them. I remember talking to Steve Forbes. Wait, Steve was a former assistant of mine. And I think Steve was on the job like a month already and hadn't even met the players. You know how hard that is? So that's one thing. Two, the impact of the freshmen losing that development time. It's such a change in their lives to go from high school to college and the level and everything. To not have that May, June, July, August, September, October, that's six months of development. That was hard. Then the recruiting. It's very difficult because you sign guys, you're coaching guys that you've never met. And so much of that recruiting for us is the personal relationship. Like going out to eat an official visit, breaking bread with somebody. You get to really know somebody breaking bread, sitting there talking about different things. Technology these days with Zoom, I mean, it is a level up from that, you know, in the past, but it's nothing like that personal interaction. But don't you think that, and I talked to Turge about this, Mark Turgeon, that mm -hmm. I do think one of the aspects I think that will stay in the Zoom recruiting is hypothetically, let alone saving some money, but you could do a visit with a kid in Australia, one in California, one in Texas, all on the same day. Within the Zoom, you could have the parents, the AU coach, the high school coach. You know, you could have all these different people on there that normally you would not collect together. And like that aspect, I'm not going to say it's completely going to replace the visit, but I don't see that part completely going away. I agree, and especially in the early part of the recruiting process. Like, I think that initial one is probably going to be Zoom. And as you start to go forward and there starts to be a common interest, then you fly out there or whatever and you do it. I can see this 
being the norm for the early stages instead of flying here or there and find out there's not much of an interest. So it is nice and convenient. And I do think it's going to stay, especially in the early part of the recruiting. I know you have lived in college towns before, but you got pretty used to over the last decade living in a city, conveniences, not just sporting events, but food. So it's going to be a bit of a transition into a college town in Norman. What are you going to have to adjust to the most in terms of your daily life, food, and entertainment? Well, I do love a city. and I love the food. I love live music, the Cubs. But I will tell you what's really cool is Norman has been so welcoming. I think it's a really cool town. Like the restaurants we've seen there, the people. But also what's cool is what I didn't know, because I might be geographically ignorant, I didn't realize Oklahoma City is 25 minutes away. So you have an NBA city that's just thriving with uh, the canal down there with restaurants. So it's really 20, 25 minutes away. And I think that's cool too, a bar that you got this unbelievable high energy college town of Norman. And then you're right there next to Oklahoma city, 20, 25 minutes away. So I'm excited to be there. I just, I've been blown away of how Norman is because I had never really spent a lot of time there. I'm just so glad to be a part of that community. And you've got fall Saturdays. You didn't have that at Loyola. Oh, man. I've gotten to know Lincoln Riley, and I went to their practice, and I went to the spring game. <laughs> really good. I haven't had a college football team to root for, and now I do. Just the vibe of that spring game, just high-energy student body, and I think that's that's cool. And Lincoln's got it going, too. He's he's high-energy, man. Their practice, oh, it was really fun to be around, and, and I'm looking forward to collaborating and learning from all the coaches there. All right. Awesome, Porter. I know we will talk often. And I'm just thrilled that you're in a great spot. Thanks, my friend. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. Time for Katz Ranks here on March Madness, March Madness 365. Remember, all these names have to be official by the school, not just what the player puts on social media. We are now week five of the roster management. That could include the transfer portal, super seniors, and of course, early entrance. Not at the deadline yet, but maybe some players decided they wanted to go back even after declaring. Star number 10. Mike Boynton at Oklahoma State, he got a new contract. Well, Woody Newton from Syracuse, he comes. Tyreek Smith from Texas Tech. A little scoring, a little rim protection. Just replenishing that roster at Oklahoma State. At number nine, love what new head coach Kim English is doing at George Mason. Deshaun Schwartz from Colorado had five threes in that first round win in the NCAA tournament against Georgetown. Devon Cooper from Moorhead State, Devontae Gaines from Tennessee, and then they picked up Blake Jones from Australia. So, Kim English putting his imprint on the program here early, filling up that roster. Now, I don't think there is a team that has replenished as much as the one I have at number eight, TCU. Just listen to the number of names I'm going to rattle off here. Damian Baugh from Memphis, Maxwell Evans from Vanderbilt, Shahada Wells, he's from UT Arlington, average about 16 a game. Micah Peavy from Texas Tech, Xavier Cook from Western Carolina, Cassius McNeely, and Emmanuel Miller from Texas A&M. That's a whole roster. So the Horned Frogs will look completely different next season in the Big 12. Number seven, Washington. Mike Hopkins adds Terrell Brown from rival Arizona and Emmett Matthews from West Virginia. So, once again, adding production to a team that sorely needs it. They were a little disappointing last season. They should have been better than their talent, that's for sure, and hopefully this will help. Obviously, some uh, staff additions as well 
up there adding uh, Quincy Pondexter to the staff and uh, had a nice NBA career from Fresno. Covered him way back when I was at the Fresno Bee. So Washington checking in at number seven. At number six, USC. Boogie Ellis from Memphis will join the Trojans. Playing for Penny Hardaway. Now he'll play for Andy Enfield. And USC needed a little bit more scoring. Obviously losing inside Evan Mobley, but uh, adding Boogie Ellis, that helps. At number five, Wayne Tinkle and Oregon State. The big surprise out of the Pac-12, winning the Pac-12 tournament, getting deep into the NCAA tournament with a chance to go to the Final Four. Well, they add Trey Williams from Minnesota. I really like Williams last season for Richard Pitino. Some spot minutes where he would make some big shots. I think he'll help the Beavers right away. And Joel Mariel from Maryland was injured, never really met his potential with the Terps, but he's a big man playing for one of the best big men coaches, a big man in Wayne Tinkle. Virginia, back on this list at number four. Igor Milicic Jr., 6'9", he's a baller, played in Germany last season. Look, Virginia has added and continued to add scoring this offseason, and I think they're going to get that with Milicic. All right, number three, Kentucky. Well, I certainly could add the staff because Orlando Antigua and Ronald Coleman come from Illinois to Kentucky, two assistants at Illinois moving to Kentucky. And they add C.J. Frederick from Iowa. Was injured at times for the Hawkeyes, but when he's on, he will make buckets. They already had Kellen Grady, so they've upgraded offensively on the perimeter in terms of shot makers with Frederick and Kellen Grady inside Oscar Shibway from West Virginia. So there is a huge influx of talent, which is what we expect at Kentucky. At number two, I'm going super senior route with Richmond. Nick Sherrod, Grant Golden, Nathan Kale, Jacob Gilliard are all coming back. Now the Spiders, they were disappointing. I thought they were gonna win the A-10, didn't happen. St. Bonaventure, VCU got into the tournament. Uh, but I think Richmond's gonna be right back in the mix to win the league, to contend, to win some games in the NCAA tournament with all those super seniors coming back. At number one, LSU. Lil Wade's got Adam Miller coming in from Illinois. Tariq Eason from Cincinnati picked up a high school center in Efton Reed. They already had Xavier Pinson from Missouri. Uh, this is what LSU does. Talent goes out, usually to the draft. Talent comes in. Uh, the pickup of Adam Miller, he was just scratching the surface at Illinois. Expect him to really blossom for LSU in Baton Rouge in the SEC. So that's week five of our roster management breakdown. Top 10 from one to 10, 10 to one. Some different names this week, couple of repeats. Certainly will continue to get interesting here in the off season, especially as we come up later this month with that early entry deadline to get into the NBA draft. Remember it's July 7th to withdraw from the NBA draft. The draft is on July 29th. Technically you can go until the 19th, but to return to college, it is July 7th. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, as we continue to talk to some of the highest profile, and yes, I'm saying highest profile, new coaches around the country, Ryan Odom going from UMBC to Utah State. Ryan, you saw my tweet because this came out of left field to me, and I you know, feel like I've got a good grasp around the country. I've been doing this for a long time. Used to work out west, covered the WAC for nine years. 
Utah State wasn't in at the time. They were in the Big West when I was out there in the 90s. But I have to admit, like, I knew you were going to go somewhere sometime. <laughs> I had no idea you'd do this. Like, how did this happen that Ryan Odom is now the head coach at Utah State? Just trying to keep you on your toes, Cats. That's what I'm trying to do. No. <laughs> I'd always said, you know, UMBC obviously was a special place to me. But I'd always said it was going to take an equally special place, you know, for me to leave. You know, the more that I began to look at the situation, the leadership here with John Hartwell, you know, what he's been able to establish here in a short amount of time. Uh, we had some similar connections and connections uh, amongst people. He's obviously from the South uh, as well. So he's a little bit like me coming out here. You know, the job that Craig is, is and his staff have done here at, at Utah State wasn't lost on me. Three straight years in the NCAA tournament. The more I began to look at it, you know, Utah State has tradition very similar to a lot of other programs in the country, like a Dayton, like a Xavier, all right, like a VCU, like a Creighton. Some of these schools that, you know, they're just on the cusp. And I know a couple of those I mentioned, Butler, Creighton, obviously they've moved up into that, you know, power five Big East level. But the tradition here is extremely strong. Since 2000, 11 NCAA tournaments here at Utah State. And the names that exist in company with them is like Gonzaga, Duke, Kentucky. It's a big time job, but it's a big time responsibility. It's a players and coaches program. We've had great coaches come through here and Stu Morrill and Rod Tuller and Dutch Finlap. Obviously, Craig and his staff have done an amazing job here in the past three years. You know, it was something that, you know, I felt was right for me and my family at the right time. Well, so here's what's great. I talked to Porter Mosier about this as well. When he goes from Loyola to Oklahoma, he replaces a retiring Lon Kruger. Drew Valentine takes his spot. And I get irritated, and you haven't done this, but I get irritated when, you know, oh, I got to change the culture. Da, da, da. Like, that doesn't happen at Utah State because Craig didn't have to leave. And he goes down, obviously, to Salt Lake, to Utah. As you just mentioned, they're winning. And it doesn't have to happen where you just left because Jim Ferry was coming from being the Penn State interim, takes over for you at UMBC, you're going to change the culture. You were winning. You were having great players come through there for your level and, you know, high character. And so the same thing is happening. So what do you need to do, though, that puts your imprint on it? Yeah, and I think you make a great point. I can't stand that either, you know, when coaches go in and say that, you know, change the culture. I mean, when we first went to UMBC, obviously they had lost the players and staff and previous seven years, it had been seven straight 20 loss seasons. My whole thing with our team going forward was we want to establish a winning culture. That's it. And, you know, for us here at Utah State, culture is extremely strong. My first meeting with the team was all about that. You guys know how to win. You know, the returning players that are back, you have established a winning culture here. Now, what's the next step? And I asked them what the next step was. And for them, it was, let's advance. We want to try to get back to the NCAA tournament because there's never a guarantee that you're just going to get back. It's a really hard thing to do. And for them to do it three years in a row is remarkable, you know, here. And the next step for us is to get back there and then advance, you know, in the NCAA tournament like we all want to do. And so how do you do that? You go about establishing your own culture because it is going to be different. You know, every coach that comes in is going to do it differently than the previous coach. And there will be some things that will be extremely similar. And then there'll be some things that will be just a tad bit different. And, you know, for us here, for me, it's about tapping into that culture that already exists 
and then recruiting to that culture, bringing others in, all right, that can help us, you know, win championships in the Mountain West and continuing along this path and building upon the foundation that is so strong here already. All right. So you will go down in history as the first man to be in the only, who knows, mm-hmm. 16 that beats a one. And you, you had a hot name. I mean, you were out there. People knew who you were for you. I mean, I have a great relationship with your dad and he's, you know, had an unbelievable career and a great second act, you know, with Maui and all that. But you established your own name, which is obviously what every son wants to do. So I'm just curious now looking back, what opportunities or how many or how close were you to really leaving after that historic victory? Yeah, I mean, I would say I was pretty close a couple of times. You know, every year there was stuff happening as it typically does, you know, and when you get to April and certainly late March and you're heading into April at the final four, there's always things kind of percolating. But, you know, at the same time, I was extremely happy at UMBC. Felt like we had unfinished business. You know, was really proud of what we had done, you know, and certainly making the NCAA tournament and winning a game, being fortunate enough to win a game. You know, all of us still think about that Kansas State game, obviously, because, you know, you think more about the ones you lost than the, the big wins you had. My family was happy, you know, there in Annapolis. You know, I love my team and my players. It's hard to describe. That is a really hard thing to do. Transitions are not easy, especially when you're doing one like we're doing right now, going across the country. You know, I took the job, you know, one day, the next day I'm out here in Logan, Utah. I don't go home for, you know, three plus weeks. And I uh, just went back for the first time the other day and was home for four days and I'm right back out here again. And so there's that separation that most fans don't really know about with your family. And you going backwards when you're making the decision to actually leave, I get very attached to my players. I get very attached to my situation. Um, you know, when, when I'm at working at a specific place and I try to bloom where I'm planted and sitting in front of those players at UMBC and I, I sat right in a chair, right in the middle and they were all right around me. Having to tell them that I was leaving was a really hard thing to do. It was a great life lesson for, for all of us. Decisions are never easy. And I was reminded of my decision impacts everyone that is in our program. And, you know, you see all kinds of coaches going through that right now. And it's, while it's neat to follow the coaching carousel, there's also feelings and tears and anger and things that happen surrounding that. And it's a, it's a tough thing, but I'm thrilled, you know, to be out here in Logan. I know it was the right decision for my family and I and my staff as well, which I'm very fortunate to have them out here with me, guys from UMBC. You know, we're just getting rolling here. And look, your brother is with the Jazz. Yeah. Uh, your brother, Lane Odom. I know your family's been close with Quinn Snyder. Lane worked for Quinn at Missouri. Yeah. How do you also continue that relationship with, you know, a Utah State and the Utah Jazz? Yeah, that's an easy one, you know, because obviously we've done Quinn, you know, since he was a player at Duke. You know, dad's coaching at Wake Forest in Virginia. Uh, he was really in Virginia when, when Quinn was playing. And then when Quinn was coaching, at Duke, dad was at Wake Forest, kind of at the height of his career with Duncan and those guys. And, you know, Lane and Quinn got really close because Lane graduated right around the same time as Quinn from High Point. You know, they ended up working together at Missouri and became really close. And now they've reunited again over the last five, six years, you know, with the Utah Jazz. Quinn, ironically, you know, texted me right before I took the job out here and his wife got her PhD from Utah State. Like he actually lived up here for three months. And he was texting me coffee shops. You know, Quinn, 
<laughs> you go to this spot. <laughs> but uh, I think that's a natural, you know, connection for us. And we're just, I'm excited to continue that relationship. Hey, so look, the Mountain West, I think, is really having a bit of a renaissance because what was so impressive was in a year where the non-conference was not normal, there were, because I did this every week with the brackets and all yeah. that, every week, all four of the top four, so Utah State, San Diego State, Colorado State, and Boise State were rotating the order, you know, it seemed like every week, and ultimately San Diego State and Utah State get in, Boise, Colorado State go to the NIT, so that's four really strong right there. Nevada with Alford, you know, clearly was on the cusp. Now you bring in Richard Patino down in New Mexico. So you know they're going to get players. That program's not going to stay down. Tim Miles goes to San Jose State, and Tim's going to get guys. We know that's going to happen. So the league, and I fully expect with you there that the top four aren't going anywhere. The depth is now going to have even more rungs, and it's going to be, while it might be harder to win. I think we could see more of a chance where, you know, two, three, four bids, or at least four, five, six teams are in play for that many bids in the years to come. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons that I'm here. It's a multi-bid league, and I think it's got the chance to get even more. The other thing that's uh, really relevant, you know, with our league is that it has the atmospheres. You know, when you think about when you're a kid growing up and you want to play in college basketball, you want to play in front of big-time crowds. And we certainly have one of the best here in the country at Utah State, the herd. Our student section is 4,000 strong every game. They're very organized with what they do. They're trying to make life miserable on the opponent and make it a tough out. And it's just really well covered and supported. And as you go, you think about it and you go throughout this league, very few places that are not well attended. And you can't say that even at the high major level. There's a lot of programs that, you know, don't draw very well and they don't have the atmosphere that the Mountain West does. And when you speak about all the coaches in this league, some great coaches, you know, throughout this league. And so it's going to be extremely competitive throughout. And, uh, you know, I'm excited about the opportunity to compete with some of these guys. Yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't say Kevin Kugler now taking over at UNLV. Yeah, Jeff Lender uh, at Wyoming. I mean, he's doing a great job up there. Yeah, and uh, years ago, I'm dating myself, the WAC tournament was once – in Laramie, and that's 7,000 feet, very difficult place to play for opponents or certainly to try to get that sweep when it's Colorado State, Wyoming. You know, I covered Fresno. Fresno has a really strong fan base. Yeah. So, yeah, th there's going to be no easy games here, no uh, easy outs, and, and people don't understand the fan attention because in a lot of these places, that school is the school in the city or in the region, or in some cases, the state. And so they really get behind their teams. All right, last thing, uh, the transfer portal. Every coach, especially new coaches, I wouldn't say it's a quick fix, but it feels like it can allow you to at least speed up the process of filling gaps. How do you plan on using yeah, it? Yeah, no question. I mean, we've already used it. We lost two starters. Uh, it's really three starters if you count Nimi. Obviously, Nimi is, you know, hopefully going to be drafted here in June. So he declared early. And then we had two guys go down with Coach Smith to Utah, two starters. We brought two from UMBC out here, two first teamers from the America East that we're really excited about. You're crazy if you don't use the portal at this point. Here's what I think about it. All things kind of ebb and flow and everything kind of begins to settle out. 
there's obviously a ton of names in the portal right now. The first year, you know, where you're allowed to transfer right away. And naturally there's going to be more, you think about, you know, more than usual, you think about COVID everybody's been unhappy because of COVID. It doesn't matter what business you're in, <laughs> you're unhappy. And so if you think about it, naturally kids are ready. You know, this stinks. Having to wear a mask, I'm getting tested every day. Like I'm going to go try something different. And so that probably is a minimal part of it as well. But what I would say is, you know, the Mountain West, Utah State in particular, is uniquely positioned. You can get guys from the high major level that come down, all right, just a tad, all right, and you can get guys at the lower level, like a UMBC, all right, that can really play to come up, all right? Well, we're right there at that cusp of being, you know, right at that high major level, that power five level. And so I think it really does benefit schools like us from that perspective. And that's not to say that that's going to be our total focus. I do like, you know, the fill in the gaps and fill the pieces. That's what basketball is, is making the pieces fit. That's where we've got to be our strongest is being able to put those pieces together. And the transfer portal allows you to do that. But there also, it allows for high school kids that are getting under recruited and prep school kids that are getting under recruited right now that are really good, that in a normal year would probably be getting recruited by, you know, a high major school, but they're getting overlooked. And so there's another, you know, opportunity for a school like Utah State. So we're investigating and, and trying to maneuver on all of these different angles, you know, relative to the scholarships that we have. Well, Ryan, appreciate it and uh, wish you nothing but the best. This you is great. Come out to Logan. <laughs> I have to. I definitely have to. And I want to go when it's a rivalry yeah. and when it's an intense atmosphere. I mean, remember a couple of years ago, those Utah State Nevada games. Oh, boy. Uh, when Musselman was coaching, those things were. I've already heard. Yeah, I've already walked that hallway many times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the. Uh, the uh, fire extinguisher glass case has been since repaired. Now they left it empty. It's still empty. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, as always. Appreciate all of your engagement. Shout out to our team at Turner Sports, Abby Stoltz, Chad Acock, Michael Kaplan, the entire NCAA.com team that basically repurposes this podcast in a variety of ways across all social media platforms that we have. And our teammates up at Bleacher Report. As always, stay safe, everyone. Let's continue to get vaxxed out there so we can have more normalcy. We'll talk again next week. Thanks, everyone. March Madness 365 with Andy Katz, presented by Grammarly. AI seems to be all over the place, but with so many options on the market, how do you know what is good for you and your business? AI is no longer a plaything. It's a business imperative. Companies that already use AI for writing are making gains. If you want to beat the competition, you need an AI writing partner you can trust. One that will help you generate not just more content, but better. Grammarly saves your company from miscommunication and all the wasted time and money that goes with it. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that gives your team an instant first draft or the perfect last word written in the company voice, and tailored to their audience and goals. When every doc, message, and email your team writes is clear, compliant, and on brand, everything gets better. Inbox numbers drop, customer satisfaction scores rise, and companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly, easier said, done.